All right, everybody. Today, your boy is solo, and I kind of want to just jump in on like some real practical stuff as it pertains to training. So, traditionally, most people are familiar with adding weight, adding reps, adding sets, you know, trying to take away rest time, um, adding, I think I already said adding weight, but you get the point. Um, it's pick an exercise and it's progressively overload it. And that is it. Just do that to no end. Um, and so, and we can took, we can talk about things as it pertains to long-term, uh, progressions and how you might go about doing that, whether it's linear or, um, if we're wave loading or, you know, daily undulating or something like that, that all is going to be less important than what I'm about to mention. And that is that we're actually setting our, ourselves up for success in the long run by making sure that we are moving properly. And so what does that look like? So a lot of people, when they begin exercising, they, let's say, are doing an exercise like a squat. Um, they have no idea why they're doing it, aside from the fact that they think it trains their legs and that they've seen other people say that this is such a great exercise to do. And I'm not saying that it's not, but we have to make sure that we pick the right squat for us. And how will we do that? So we might have um, some passive, which would mean just like without any assistance um, from yourself, like you pulling yourself into position um, passively, how far can your you know, you know joints go into space? So like, can we pull your knee to your chest? Could if we pulled your knee to about 90 degrees, um, just over your pelvis, if we could rotate the leg in and out, that's testing internal and external rotation. Um, how far can you go? Can you get 45 degrees of internal rotation, which would be kind of rotating that heel out? And can you get about 90 degrees rotating in? Awesome. Can you get 90 degrees of hip flexions? Basically, if we lifted your leg straight up to stretch your hamstring, like if we pulled it towards your face, are we actually getting 90 degrees of hip flexion there? And then how well are we able to um, extend the hip? We do what's called a Thomas test. Um, you know, feel free to look that one up on YouTube. Uh, but let's say we, we go through all that. We're like, okay, um, maybe there's a mild restriction there. No big deal. Nothing that should keep us from performing a squat, but um, just something to note. Something to note. Um, and then we go and we test, uh, let's say, your split squat. And you're doing split squats, and you notice, like, man, this feels really shaky. It feels really unstable, if you will. And um, we, we've already noticed that there's not really a, a range of motion restriction there, uh, nothing notable. And we're kind of wondering why, why you feel so unstable. Well, it's, it's, not, it's not linked to stiffness in this case. Um, so it's literally just our ability to control that position. So if we just went off of the reps, sets, weight model uh, of progressing this, we would just have you do more reps of it. Um, the thing is, is uh, the quality of those reps is low because you're not likely to stay in those unstable positions uh, because they're uncomfortable and it's far easier to just jump out of them. Uh, so a lot of times you'll see people descend into the bottom of this split squat or lunge, um, whatever you're more familiar with. They descended the bottom of that very quickly, and then they just bounce right back out, okay? And a lot of the 
positive benefits from that exercise are going to be gained from getting to that deep, unstable position and controlling it and then kind of feeling what it's like to produce force, but also not have that force throw you totally off balance, which is going to require moving more slowly. So um, the first thing that I would say is finding ranges that we have access to that we can then begin to stabilize is a form of progression. And so what we would look at this as is as a form of skill acquisition. So you're understanding the position and you're able to safely um, place tension onto the muscles um, and then produce force from there. That's going to be a sign of progression. Now, how would we quantify that? We'd look at that as what is labeled as tempo. So when we look at tempo, we're like, okay, how much time did we spend to come down? This would be called the eccentric so or the lowering phase. Um, now, this would depend on the exercise because some exercises, uh, the eccentric is, uh, they, they feel, they start at different points. Like sometimes it's the beginning of the exercise and sometimes at the end. Um, so for a squat, you unrack it and then you go into the eccentric. So the first thing you do is go down. So it's the lowering phase. Whereas a deadlift, you're picking it up first, which is the concentric phase, and then you're lowering slowly. So um, just important to note that when we are um, going through that eccentric phase, that is when we are, we're kind of yielding and we're trying to stabilize and place tension on the muscle. And then the concentric phase, which is when we're pushing, is where we're producing force. We want to make sure that that force is applied appropriately. So, um, and a, 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 an indicator for some people would be, am I experiencing pain um, somewhere other than the muscle? Like I'm noticing it in a joint or what would feel like maybe connective tissue. It's like the area just above the kneecap, but it's not the kneecap but it's clearly not a muscle, kind of feels tendon either. So um, making sure that we're placing force appropriately, um, or if you're feeling it like, quote unquote, inside of a joint, um, that would be a sign that we're not placing tension on the muscles that we're hoping to, tra to train. And so a lot of times, um, what ends up happening is people are um, in a rush to speed up the not only the exercise, but progression. And so they add more and more weight and this might mean that they end up cutting off the range of motion of that exercise so now they're not getting as deep as they were before this is problematic uh, because now we're not affecting all of the tissue that we hope to train or um, stimulate the growth um, or just stimulate like what we would need from an athletic standpoint like in terms of the um, depth or stretch required to get into certain positions, that's no longer going to be there if we're cutting off range of motion perpetually just in an effort to increase loads. So I would say it's never more important to add load than to maintain range of motion. If you can't add weight and keep the same range of motion, you just weren't ready to go up yet. So that would be my first thing. Um, so we've got tempo where we're controlling this motion and then we've got the range of motion that we're actually trying to maintain. And now let's say if you don't have 
what somebody would deem is the adequate range of motion. Um, so this is going to be based on a what your body like you know physically has the capacity to do um, and can be improved over time, but then also what is going to benefit you based on your goal. And so um, if you are somebody who likes to run or hike, you know, greater and greater degrees of, you know, depth in, in a split squat could be useful. Um, but it also might not, not be crazy, um, in terms of like how much you would notice it in your day to day. Now, um, you would also improve, you know, your ability to, to stabilize that joint a little bit better, which is going to carry over into, you know, running, um, as a byproduct but not necessarily due to specifically being in a deep stretched position, um, just more to doing that exercise. <laughs> so, um, you, like a lot of people have probably seen Le- Le- LeBron James do his squat and it was like a quarter squat and people are like, oh, well, like it wasn't deep enough or whatever. Um, but the dude's contract is <laughs> an astronomical amount of money and the trainer probably doesn't want to be the one responsible for potentially injuring him. And it was deep enough. Uh, he doesn't find himself in much deeper a squat position in the game of basketball. So it doesn't necessarily pay dividends to do that. Now, if his goal was to grow his quads as large as possible or get his glutes more toned or something like that, then yeah, he'd probably want to be squatting a little bit deeper um, or you know, performing exercises with more depth. But in terms of its athletic carryover, um, there probably wasn't much there for him in terms of risk reward. Um, not to say that he couldn't train deeper and also maybe potentially experience some benefits there, but, um, yeah, I think with the heavy weight of the price tag of his contract, the, um, it makes it a lot easier to, to make a decision that is conservative in that case because he still plays at a high level. So now for you, uh, you would just have to determine like, okay, well, what are all the things that I am interested in improving in exercise? And if it's uh, tissue quality, if it is being able to get into greater depths, um, being more mobile, then that is something that we're going to want to progress first before progressing load. So instead of just adding more weight and shortening the range of motion that you're training, keep the same range of motion at least, or improve the range of motion before increasing the load. Okay, so we've got our tempo, which is going to benefit our stability. Um, we've got our range of motion, and these are all things that 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 aren't necessarily the sets, reps, weight um, that we talked about in terms of traditional progression. Um, so looking at how long each rep takes. So if it took three seconds to come down, you did a one second pause, you did two seconds to come up. That's a five second rep. And if you're doing that times eight reps, you've got about what 40 seconds there. So you've got 40 seconds of time that we can now quantify if you're actually staying true to the actual tempo. So 40 seconds, tempo, just doing split squats. Great. Uh, And now let's say you added some weight and 
the tempo stayed stayed the same, you know you you added um, an extreme. Uh, you you added a large um, form of progress there. Um, now how how you don't need to turn it into a number in terms of like the amount of force produced or um, the volume. Um, the volume is going to be dictated by your sets, reps, and weight, but like it's just something to keep into account when we're trying to track progress with the movement. Like adherence to tempo, like improving your tempo, is a sign of progression. So if weights don't go up, but you had a better adherence to tempo, I would say that 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 is progress. Now there are some exercises that aren't split squats um, that are more externally stable. Um, like machines. These ones, we're probably going to, as long as we maintain range of motion, we're probably going to be okay with just progressing the sets and the reps. Now, do we want to uh, elicit a good tempo um, to ensure that we're keeping tension on the right things? Yes. Um, But because it is more externally stable and we're less likely to deviate out of position um, just due to the nature of the machine... Yeah, you can probably just, you can use that one to build up a little bit more strength while we're trying to find um, good stability and um, depth in our other exercises. So let's say I was working on a goblet squat because I wanted to improve my position so that I could keep um, keep my core in a good position while loading into a squat pattern. Um, so a lot of people, they will break um, between their, like their rib cage and their pelvis where their rib cage goes up and the pelvis goes forward. And so now the, the diaphragm isn't aimed against the pelvic floor. You can't create good, uh, good intra abdominal pressure because it can't, it literally is pressing out against your stomach instead of down against the pelvic floor. Um, and so that's not a position you want to be in if you were to like load into a, a back squat. So if there's a bar on your back, then there would be more, um, it would be, you'd have more compressive force on your back versus if you were able to maintain that good, that trunk alignment. That's why somebody, uh, they might benefit more from being in a goblet squat first before progressing to maybe a front squat to pro- progressing to a high bar squat. Um, it also has to do with your ability to be able to externally rotate your shoulders um, being able to get that, get your hands and elbows in a good position with um, with the bar on your back. If you don't have that, and we're just trying to get you to back squat, and your elbows are pointing straight back at the wall, and we're not able to get the appropriate you know tension um, through our upper back or position our our trunk appropriately, then like yeah, sure you'll be able to get more weight on the bar and you might be pushing, but like you're also likely to experience um, plateau and that it, that is hard to work through and you end up having to take steps back to fix that versus if you work from the goblet up, you're probably only going to see progress from that point forward um, so long as we're focusing on keeping those things in good position. And I would say that this is also true of other exercises. And I know that this may... Um, just be more confusing for some people because they're like, oh, I just thought like this was a progression and that was a progression. They are, but there are things that we want to pay attention to in terms of like what is happening at our shoulders, hips, and spine 
um, so that we know uh, how how and when it's like safe to progress and and what needs to be worked on. Um, so you know, some people might have a hard time um, stabilizing their shoulders. So instead of starting them with an overhead press, which is you know commonly written in some beginner programs, um, I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, being that I have, from my experience, I have not seen many beginners who walk into the gym who have adequate upper back strength, um, strength in the rotator cuff, strength in the lower traps, strength in the serratus to start at an exercise like overhead press. And so I would probably be more likely to start that person in a landmine shoulder press, which is basically kind of like a, almost like a, it's almost like a 45 degree incline bench press. So like if you were to angle up a bench so that it was at like 45 degrees and then you decided to do some pressing from that position, you, it would be similar to that, except you have a barbell in a corner and you're just picking that up off the ground and then you're kind of pushing it out in front of you. So it's slightly lower than a 45 degree. Um, but that's another way that we could break progress it moving from that to maybe like a lunge type position to moving to like a half kneeling position so that as you go lower down the bar goes higher up and that increases the amount of shoulder flexion over time as you're gaining more control in that position so this is how I go about progressing my clients and and some might determine it a health phase or a general preparation phase but I'm literally just trying to get them to see results on maybe maybe on the machines that's going to help um quote unquote tone their muscles cuz they're they're building more they're building more muscle they're probably experiencing some fat loss and they're they're seeing strength gains on those while we're trying to build the skill of the exercise through some of our accessory movements um or some of our other exercise selection and then we're going to marry those two together as they become more advanced and more skilled in those positions and then we're going to see like hey I can actually really tolerate some some pretty heavy loads, um, and on some pretty, pretty cool movements. Like some people swear deadlifts are bad for your back. And I would say that for most people it might be. And (laughs) the only reason I would say that is because most people that walk into the gym, um, who meet with a trainer for the first time, who are introduced to a barbell deadlift on the first day, don't have the requisite strength in their lats to do a conventional barbell deadlift off of the floor. So they don't have the range of motion, first of all, um, in their hamstrings um, to get down into that position um, and then safely load their lower back with um, without the assistance of the lats because if you can't externally rotate your shoulder and maintain that position and keep it into depression, you're not getting... The ten, like you're not getting the lat tie-in into the thoracolumbar fascia, which is like basically the fascia of your lower back. And th- when the lats pull on those, it creates creates tension, which makes it safer to load, right? But if there's slack in the system, then your spine takes the hit. And so, yeah, for most people, just coming into the gym might not be a good idea. And some people will uh, jump people onto the trap bar right away. And I'd say... Um, even though it is a more vertically oriented option and your erectors will take less of a hit and and it would be more of your upper back, you still run the risk depending on how heavy the bar is, 
how much you're loading it. Um, and if you didn't have the requisite last strength or you, your trainer didn't introduce you to that and you're noticing that you're patterning extension a bit more, um, people have a tendency if they don't have a, the, the core strength required to get to the top of that movement uh, to put pressure onto the joint facets, which is essentially like little mini vertebrae <laughs> off to the side. It's like you have the, sp- you have the spine, the, the spinous process, which shoots straight off the back of your vertebrae. And then the little ones off to the sides um, uh, kind of, I don't know, they, they kind of fan out in like this V shape off the side of the vertebra. And as you get more and more into the lower back, like the lumbar spine, there's the, this little cushy type, almost like disky tissue. Um, they're called the joint facets. And when you um, just load the spine, instead, like so like you're loading the spine as structure instead of loading the muscles into the lift, you're going to put pressure on those tr- joint facets. And that uh, is not going to feel good. So, <laughs> um, yeah, even trap bar deadlift might not be a good option when you first get started. Some people just need to learn how to pattern the hinge with a, a rope and a cable, and they do what's called a rope hinge. Lots of people um, can start with a Romanian deadlift um, with dumbbells, not with a barbell. Um, just, again, due to the fact that the barbell being off in front of you um, versus when you start with the dumbbells, you can move them a bit more to your side. They're less likely to... Um, have a longer lever on the spine, which limits how much the erectors are going to be involved there. But also, uh, because you are your dumbbells are more off to your sides, you're more externally rotated, you're more likely to, to get tension onto your lats. Whereas when the bar is in front of you, you're more internally rotated and you get less tension on your lats. I know this was a lot. <laughs> I know I'm kind of going off on a little tangent here. But there's a lot of things to consider in the long run, when we're looking at developing our programs, not just from a uh, progression standpoint, but from a uh, longevity and health standpoint, um, how we're going to set up for blocks of continued success and actually making sure that we're getting like we're, we're making a straight line of progress where some people try to take a shortcut. They pick exercises and positions that they shouldn't necessarily be in. They don't have the strength to be in. And uh, I'll say firsthand, I've uh, walked into commercial gyms and I've seen you know young men in their 20s just barbell back squatting. They don't even know if they're doing a high bar or a low bar. They just have the bar somewhere on their back. And based on whichever position you need to be in, you need to be angled a certain way. And so... Somebody might have the bar in a low bar position, but they're doing a, a, a high bar squat. And that that's going to feel weird <laughs> just because the, the weight is not in the right spot, spot on your back to stay completely upright. Like if you leaned a little bit more forward, uh, then you probably feel a little bit better. And you if you leaned a little bit more forward and you got a little bit more back into your hips, um, that would probably feel a little bit better because you'd be able to keep your weight over your midfoot. Uh, <laughs> but in order to keep your weight over your midfoot, when the bar is that low on your back, you have to send your chest so far forward that it just feels like you're on your toes. And then you can't get any depth and you're wondering why. And you think your calves are tight and then you're rolling your calves. And that wasn't even the problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
so there's a lot going on here and I want to, um, I want to break it all down in detail, um, over the course of the podcast. Um, I'll, I'll work to put out YouTube videos to link to these again, lots of stuff going on with training that, yeah, if you're just trying to be active and you want to, you want to get moving, there's probably like a list of great start exercises for most people. I'd say like, Hey, a lot of people getting your heels slightly elevated, like putting them on like a, a 10, 10 pound plate and then doing some goblet squats. Great place for some people to start. A lot of people aren't there. They might need to start with some, uh, counterbalance squats where you take like a, a 10 pound plate and you just kind of push it out in front of you like reach your arms long and then you squat from there and you get to stay more upright and you just focus on keeping your core nice and tight. Um, you know, but it it varies, it varies from person to person. So sometimes, um, it's helpful to, to see people in person and assess that. Um, I do a lot of my work online as well. So clients send me videos so I can tell them, Hey, like this is what we need to do, or here's how I would go about progressing that. Um, but in terms of knowing if you are in the right position or not, you know, sometimes it's just going to be like reaching out to somebody and, and, and finding out if, if it does look okay and it does look safe. Um, so yeah, uh, if you have questions, I'd say like reach out to me on, on Instagram. I'm at the underscore Mr. M-I-S-T-E-R underscore Davis. I also have it linked to the show notes, so that shouldn't be too hard to find. Uh, but also, you know, you can email me, Stephen at davisfitnessmethod.com. If you have any questions about your form and technique, I'm happy to answer. Uh, you don't have to be a client of mine. I just want to see us all do better. I want to see people get fit without frustration. And um, like I, I was frustrated uh, with my progress early on, not knowing what to do, you know, having to spend countless hours on the internet, and then through you know formal education and uh, continued edu- education. Uh, I was able to to get the answers, and um, I don't think all of you need to do that. And I'm happy to help you cut the line. Uh, you're not going to be able to cut the line by yourself by just putting a barbell on your back. And you could you you can learn the hard way, but that's not cutting in line. Um, you can cut in line by asking questions from from people that have have done it before you. So I'm here if you need anything. Thanks for listening. I know it was a long 26 minutes, but I appreciate you being here. And uh, I'll see you on the next one.